Hey, it's the Letterbox Show, and this is the review of the Year in Review. New Year. This is the Letterbox Show. I'm Gemma Gracewood, Letterbox's Editor-in-Chief, and with me today are Letterbox members and also many other talented things, Demi Adejwebe and Mia Vicino. Vicino? I should have checked. Yes, Vicino. Italiano. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> known, known most famously now, um, apart from 21st September, for uh, in 2020, dancing on top of a car on a Los Feliz street corner for um, yep. <laughs> untold hours. Oh, too many hours. Yeah. My bones still hurt. But also for being Letterbox members uh, with ra- rather large followings um, as as Demi under your name and Mia as Brat Pitt, the, the famous <laughs> Brat Pitt. So exciting to actually finally meet you. And also um, having the, I guess, fortune or misfortune for being phoned up by pretty much every writer in 2020 who decided to do a story on us called both of you for quotes. So sorry about that. And um, sorry people oh, made you talk about us. No, I'm no, happy it was to awesome. talk to everyone about Letterboxd. Oh, Same. good. Yay. Before we start, the, uh, the, the punters need to know, you are both Letterboxd members and now you're friends. How did that happen? We were we were just letterboxed mutuals for like a while, I think. And then I I lived in Portland. He was down here. And just um through I just happened to be in LA one day and then I hung out with his roommate Gabe. And then I was like, Oh, that's Demi. I know him yeah. from Letterboxd. That's your roommate. That's Demi. Yeah. yeah. She came and over then... to like watch a movie and I was, she was like, Oh hi, I know you from Letterboxd. And I was like, I know you from Letterboxd. <laughs> and then we just became friends and uh watched movies and I think then I went to Portland and was like, hi, I'm in town if you want to hang out. And like on two separate occasions, we tried to go see a movie and couldn't get into the theater. And we're just like, all right, well, sorry, bye. We tried to see a little battle angel. Ooh. My little battle angel. <laughs> battle angel. My favorite Christoph uh, Waltz impression. And then we tried to see Brazil. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, tried, and then we tried to see 1917 once I moved here. Yeah, I moved here. I moved here a year ago, exactly a year ago, actually. Wow. So we, you're like, whole history yeah. is about trying and failing to see movies together. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think we only eventually did see a movie together when was it Sonic the Hedgehog? And then oh, quarantine happened. Was that our first? <laughs> it might have been. I think it was. We saw Sonic. No, the Birds Hedgehog. of Prey. It was Birds of Prey. Oh, right. It was Birds of Prey. I remember now. That's we an awesome one. That's a good one. <laughs> and then we saw Song of the Hedgehog, and then we saw Emma, and then the pandemic happened, and it was just like, oh, okay, so that's oh. that's it. <laughs> and then, and then at which point, because you know, like in New Zealand, we have this thing called bubble. Like when we went into lockdown, we were told by our leader, you have to choose your bubble and stick to your bubble. So I don't like how does it how has it worked in the states? Because you have kind of created a bubble with each other, haven't you? Well, I feel like everyone's sort of created their own little bubbles and then we're just sort of like all right this is how it's gonna work and we did that pretty quickly just because we have a a small group of friends that like hangs out with each other and we were very lucky because uh two of our friends were just living alone so we were just like okay well you're more than welcome to come and hang out uh and then it's just sort of like it kept like cases kept getting worse and like things kept changing and then eventually it was just like uh all right maybe we'll just we'll see each other every so often like hang out and our backyard or something now but it was like pretty quickly we were just like i don't know we see the same like my roommate and i see the same three people why don't we just keep seeing just those three people 
and then and have those people down. agree to just see us and then yeah yeah exactly oh okay that's a good way to keep yourself safe yeah and it was yeah. very fortunate that we uh all we wanted to do was just hang out and watch movies anyway so it's just like <laughs> uh you guys gonna come over and watch a movie great and now Demi, he just moved to a house and has this awesome backyard set up with like a projector and furniture and like a fire pit. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was, I'm talking it up, but it's cool. It's cool. I'm promoting it for you. Demi's art house. Pit. I love it. That's such a great story because we get, uh, you know, we get a lot of feature requests, but on the regular, we get people asking, come on, Letterboxd, introduce DMs. And we're like, no, 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 no. And not because not because we're against the idea of people messaging each other directly, but I don't know. It feels like uh, and you know it's it's definitely next level uh, amount of labor for our tech team. Mm-hmm. But also Letterbox is about sharing your taste in film, not hiding your taste in film. So yeah, it feels like the minute we sort of allow the conversation to go private, and I and I understand why it's because people w- want to make friends with each other. But there are other ways. Anyway, what you've proven is there are other ways to do that. One of the things I routinely say that I love about Letterboxd, it feels like it has not tried to become like Twitter or Instagram or have like other features. I'm like, I don't want, I just want to be like, I watched a movie. Here's what I think about it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you though, specifically Demi, we introduced a feature this year, which is comment controls. Finally, mm. finally, after years of being asked <laughs> and it's you know, something we wanted to do so early on, but you know, these things take time. We're a tiny team, like to, to, be perfectly honest, we expanded the team by 300% this year by adding three people. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the the economics that we work with, which is why a lot of our, our feature introductions take their time. And also we want to get them right. But comment controls was, was definitely something we wanted to bring in as quickly as possible to help our members curate the conversation in their own spaces on Letterboxd. And it's sort of weirdly we did it just at the right time because the pandemic meant more people at home watching films discovering letterbox joining and then having to quickly get up to speed on how the community works and how to be a how to be a good person on the internet i guess and i wanted to ask you specifically because there was one review where you just you just did a brain dump and then turned off comments and i was like yes that's why we did it yeah i'd love to hear your perspective on that I think the more the more I spend time on the internet and the more that I do a thing and have to sort of reckon with the idea that I have an audience, the more I'm like, oh, I don't like having an audience. And it makes me feel very weird. And I'm like so fragile and like, I'm just, I'm a huge baby. And I'm just like, I just want to say a thing that is not meant to be controversial and not have anyone think about it for more than it takes to read it. And then just having to recognize that people will think about it and might get upset by it or like want to be like I got to discuss this with you or even just like in a positive way discuss it with me sometimes I'm just sort of like "Ah, I don't really want to no offense but I don't want to do that and so like getting to be like no 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 this is just it's a journal entry you can read it but you don't have to interact with it was a very nice uh feature to have yeah it's so good to hear because life's hard enough already (laughs) It is. And it's like, the thing is, it's not even necessarily that like, I'm worried people will be mean or anything. But sometimes I just get overwhelmed by interaction, period, which is so strange. It's like makes me feel guilty because it's like, there's nothing wrong with someone being like, oh, man, this is great. But sometimes I'm just like, ah, I don't stop looking at me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I have the same thing. Being perceived is hard. I don't, I I don't check my notifications on Letterboxd at all. I don't um, have them anymore. 
yeah no healthy. I they're yeah. they're off and I don't ever go to like the tab that's like incoming because I get too I'm too sensitive and I get stressed out as well I don't know Demi and I are kin in that way one bad thing that happens is because we are friends and watch movies together and are also two popular letterbox users is that when the two of us are watch a movie shipping together you? people are shipping you right well that's happened too God. and i'm like everybody yeah. be normal uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but just like when the two of us watch a movie it'll be like oh this is a it's like it's a popular movie because two it's like just because it's like two people who are popular on the website both watch the movie and then it's like they both get interactions and then it's like oh this has like a trickle down effect just because like we both happen to watch like I don't know, Hello Black Dolly. and White and French it, Shrek. When we watched yeah. Black and White French oh. Shrek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which was an event. Like, okay, so basically you're making events happen, but it also, with great power comes great responsibility. And then I'm just like, ah, maybe I shouldn't log this because I don't want it to be like an event. It's just a thing that we did. And it's just, anyway, I... It, it's just, I keep just getting in my own head and thinking about everything that we do on the website. And then I'm just sort of like, all right, anything I can do to make myself shrink would be nice. And turning off comments was a way to just shrink. And these articles that have been recently written, which we welcome, it's so nice to be the the, the little player in the social media space <laughs> and finally getting noticed. But, um, you know, you've both, you, you have both been interviewed on multiple occasions by various people. And, and um, one of the reasons that they come to you, Mia, is is for the, I guess, the female perspective of being online. And, you know, I've always said being online as a woman is two, three, four, five times harder than being online. It's very hard. It's as very a man, stressful. right? And then there's this sort <laughs> yeah. of whole film snob thing around, well, mm -hmm. why do, why are the most popular members the ones that write one sentence, not 1,000 words? And I'm like, because it doesn't matter if a woman writes one sentence or 1,000 words, she's still going to get the same reaction. So why exactly. would she put all the emotional and creative labor into writing those 1000 words, you know, just to get a barrage of, of hate and, you know, just reckons. Yes, 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 exactly. And it's also, that's another thing is like, they'll see the popular reviews and they have like a bunch of likes in there, like one sentence, but it's like, I also actually do write those really long in-depth analyses as well they just don't you know people aren't going to read the whole thing so a lot of times it's so much easier to read one sentence and be like ah oh, like 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 um than like have to read the whole thing also you write them professionally often so it's just sort of like yeah. why don't you write them for free on this website it's like this yeah is it's like because i can get paid actually to do it no it's because it's exactly letterbox is a journal like that's that's why i like using it is because i feel like i can be my authentic self um it's not like a professional space where i have to like kind of as demi said like treat myself and kind of I don't know not be myself and I can well, just be right in, right in the voice yeah. of the outlet right yeah, yeah 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 you have to write in a different voice than your own and it's just like I'm here to have fun and just kind of like say what I'm watching I don't know that's what it's for ah. <laughs> well speaking of uh, having fun we need to dive into our, our thoughts on the year in review but yes first someone on Letterboxd did something else in 2020 which was uh wildly outrageous um or you know dreamily ambitious depending on what your point of view is and that is a member called McKenna who watched Twilight every day of 2020 hell yeah and, McKenna. yeah and she, she was a about, hero <laughs> like she was 20 something days in before she realized it was a leap year and she was going to have to go one day longer than she was even planning <laughs> So we wanted McKenna to come on and explain herself because we three have all watched Twilight in the last week. I think possibly because of her. 
our friend had to do a podcast uh, and she was like, I got to watch Twilight for this podcast if you want to watch it, Mia. And Mia was excited. And I was like, hey, I've never seen it. And I like watching movies with you guys. Let's do it. And then the podcast didn't record. So she just <laughs> did it for no reason. And I, it's the funniest possible outcome. Because oh, she hated it. She hates she hated Twilight. So <laughs> and, and Debbie and I are just sitting there watching Twilight like, woo, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> just laughing. And she's like, Ugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I just saw McKenna's like tweet about it take off, which I don't think she was expecting to happen either. And I was like, I guess I better give it another watch because I haven't oh, seen yeah. it since it first came out. And I was definitely not the target market. And I'm I'm just I'm just not really a fanfic girl, but you know, no, absolutely no judgment on anyone who is i'm i'm into it but anyway so i watched it and oh my god it's wild it's so, <laughs> it's so wild but yes, we it's wanted, insane it is insane like that soundtrack the the yeah muse at the baseball game the supermassive black hole baseball oh, scene the, the piggyback Great. ride up the hill uh, oh yeah hang on spider monkey yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's it's such a fun, like, I don't know. I think the cultural history of Twilight has been ruined by people being like, this is so dumb and like hate watching it. And I just feel like getting to watch it and trying to be like open to it. I was just sort of like, even if you don't like this movie, it's so fun to watch with people and just be like, it's kind of ridiculous, but you get the appeal. It's got everything. It's got yeah. trying on the prom dresses scene. You know, it's got oh. every single last thing you want in a teen movie. It's everything. so blue. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it was. <laughs> and it's so, it was so formative for me because I'm I'm from Portland and I was raised in Portland, which is you know Pacific Northwest. So that's and they filmed a lot of it in Portland. It takes place in Washington, but a lot of it is Portland. And so it was very formative and important to me. <laughs> growing up because it's like this is all we have we have twilight and that's it in portland <laughs> and, then <laughs> like film, had, film and then you had 50 shades of gray oh, oh yes we got dear. 50 shades of gray as well thank you i suppose is that also set in portland <laughs> yes because it's twilight fan fiction right yeah exactly yeah so. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and then you have um you've got one more Ah, Deborah Granick's recent beautiful film. Oh, Leave No oh, Trace. Yeah. yeah. Leave No yes, Trace. Wonderful we have that one as well. Yeah. Okay, so we have Another, we have another piece of, you know, of teen coming of age, which is, mm -hmm. you know, quite amazing. But no, I guess it is coming of, yeah. I was like, uh, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, we wanted, I did ask McKenna if she would come on the podcast and explain herself and talk to us, but she's in the middle of finals and education mm. is important. So instead she left us the sweetest voice message. Have a listen. Hello, I'm McKenna. I'm the girl who just spent the entirety of 2020 watching Twilight every day. Why I did that exactly? I do not know. The whole thing started out as a joke between me and a friend, and I don't think either one of us actually anticipated me accomplishing it. But here we are in 2021, and I get to begin the year as a person who watched Twilight 366 times. Other than not being a driven insane, what surprised me most about the entire experience was that I managed to find something new to say about the movie almost every day. Because I just assumed I would have run out of things to say. I mean, Twilight is not a very thought-provoking movie. But turns out I had a lot to say about it. Most of my reviews are about how great this soundtrack is, because it is such such a great soundtrack. I mean, they they really went to the extra lengths on that. Or, my reviews are complaints over very small things, such as the way Bella holds her celery in the beginning cafeteria scene when she's pitching editorial ideas to Angela. It did 
bother me at much at first, but as the months dragged on, I began to really talk about that scene. So there are a lot of celery-focused reviews, and I apologize for that. Also, like I said, a great majority of my reviews are complaints, but I would like to note that I love this franchise and have since elementary school. So, in my complaint commentary, just know that I am doing it with all the love in my heart. Finding something new to say was a very fun bonus to the whole challenge because it allowed me to trick myself into thinking that I was being productive and helpful by adding on to the already thousands of Twilight reviews. I hardly remember anything I wrote, so it's going to be very interesting looking back on them in a few months to see what was going through my mind. I really hope I said one intelligent thing throughout my 366 reviews, especially given the amount of people who have now read them. Never in my life did I think anyone other than the members of a Twitter group chat I am part of would read them, but I was wrong, and I don't know what to do now knowing so many people have read my chaotic thoughts about Twilight. I just hope it was a fun time for them. Along with Twilight, I did watch other films, of course, because there was no way I could possibly retain any sanity if it had been the only thing I saw for a year. Most of the films I watched were made back in the day, and it was always very interesting going from something filmed during the Hayes Good era, Twilight. For example, one day I did a double feature of Casablanca in Twilight, and I think everyone should experience that at least once in their life. Because I mainly watched older films, according to my diary, I only watched six films released in 2020, and I have to admit, before I looked it up, I couldn't even name one film to release last year. Out of the six I saw, my favorite was Psych 2 Lassie Come Home, which is available to stream on Peacock, and it is a continuation of the television show Psych. The film was made to celebrate and support the recovery of one of the main actors who was unable to be in the first film due to suffering a stroke. The cast and Drew did a marvelous job of honoring him with plenty of heartfelt scenes by still maintaining the humor and antics of the series. Overall, the whole watching the same movie every day for a year was a fun challenge and one I won't be doing again. I have seen people attempting to do this challenge with Twilight and other movies this year, so I wish all those people the best of luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, so Casablanca, Twilight, uh, double feature coming up. I think. Yeah, those are the two. Things in common. The two (laughs) movies. There's only two: (laughs) Twilight and Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, quite a lot in common. Because this is the thing. This is why I wanted to get in touch with her. Not just because she'd watched Twilight every day in 2020, but when I went through her letterbox diary, every other film was kind of pre 1950, and so I was really fascinated by what you know, what was going on for her. And it was really cool to hear that she's she's interested in the sort of Hays Code era films. It makes me think about, you know, that last month on film Twitter when everyone started complaining about how we don't need sex scenes in movies anymore because they don't advance the plot. <laughs> Such a, yeah. yeah. Like, I guess what? the Hays Code does have that in common with Twilight because in Twilight they can't kiss. <laughs> they can't kiss for a long time. <laughs> oh, wow, that's Much true. like the Hays Code where you could not show that. So that is that is a tenuous connection between... <laughs> There's also that whole plot about uh, how they're trying to get rid of the communists in in Twilight. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yes. The whole communism subplot. You can't smoke. You can't do all these things. (laughs) Women can't show their legs on screen. It's very hazy. Round up the usual werewolves. Yeah, Mm -hmm. all of the above. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just really love, you know, all the ways in which people occupied themselves with movies in 2020. But let's talk about, it is time to talk about the highest rated film of 2020 according to the letterbox community and it was um it's a film that hasn't been on general release yet but it's had enough of uh festival action well and no, i think short... artemis fowl is on disney plus <laughs> 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 oh. 
Oh, yeah, Kelly. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. so yeah, no. It did, yeah. <laughs> It did have enough of a release. No. So I had a short, you know, a short, the classic short window uh, just before Christmas to to qualify for if awards happen at all in 2021. But anyway, it is Lee Isaac Chung's Minari. All right, listen up, everyone. Now this here is Mr. Jacob and this is Monica Yee. Mr. Yee is an expert chicken sector. He's worked in uh, California and Seattle. So uh, let's give him a big Arkansas welcome. I loved that movie so much. Uh, I I truly was crying so much through the second half, just like sitting in the corner of my couch, silently tearing. I, it, it's hard to say anything about the movie because again, it's a movie that still people can't really see readily, but it was just, I was set up for it to be good and it still blew me away. I, I feel like uh, it, it was such a, like a very specific and gentle look at immigrant childhood. So as first generation children, to a family that has moved there to give their family a better life. It really resonated with me in that sense. And then just felt like there are so many things where you, you kind of expect a movie like this to go in a certain way and you go like, uh-oh, when that, like when they meet the, uh, oh, never mind. Yeah. I can't say it anyway, but it's just <laughs> yeah. like- uh, Yeah, it's one know. of those things because it hasn't been on wide release. I, I, you know, we can't, we'll, we'll go there again when it has, right. but- but you just you want to preserve that experience for as many people as possible, right? I'll just say there are a lot of like places that you think a movie like this is gonna go, and you're like, oh, here we go with this thing, and then it doesn't go there, and instead plays it in a very like gentle and like loving way, and that it works so well that it's like there's a thing that sets up and you're like, oh, I think it's gonna go this way and it doesn't go that way. And then every time it comes back to that, I did sort of feel like very weirdly emotional. And there's just a very nice scene that is just sort of like part of a montage at the end that almost made me cry harder than anything else. And it's like, not like, it's not like if, if I mentioned it in a description, people would be like, that doesn't sound like anything of note, but it's just like, I don't know, something about the gentleness of it and what it sort of like signifies for the character's journeys and like what it meant to me being able to relate to things like that as a, a children of immigrants was very like heartwarming. I just think it's a very special movie and everyone in it is so good. I also really loved it. What what really struck me was the the like inner struggle between the Kore- wanting to express your Koreanness but also wanting to fit in with white people cuz I'm I'm half Korean half white. And like when when you're a kid dealing with that weird intersection of identity. It's so confusing and it's so alienating. And um, it, it was so heartbreaking to see like this kid, um, this isn't spoily, I promise. Um, it's because it's through the eyes of this of this boy who's like struggling with his Koreanness and fitting in in Arkansas. And just, um, he's like kind of rejecting the Koreanness. He like doesn't like the grandma and everything. He's like, she's not a real grandma. She's like Korean. She's not, she's not like the grandmas here. And that was just like so heartbreaking because I, I recognized that like in myself as a, as a child and like, you know, growing up and learning more about race and identity and all of that. It, it, it was just, it was just so interesting and just a really authentic, <laughs> a really authentic piece that told this really hard truth. It's really hard to admit that truth. And I think it's really powerful that they, did. <laughs> it's fascinating how many ways you can come to this movie depending on what your experience is. My experience of Minari was as the wife of an entrepreneur and I recognize you know I knew nothing about being a first generation immigrant although you know I have I have experience of living far away from home 
I'm white. I'm not going to own any of that. You know, it's, there's there's privilege inherent in that. But but as as the partner of somebody who is striving to achieve something, but it's slow and it is taking a huge toll on family. That for me, uh, you know, I just I saw the film through the eyes of Han Yeri's character um, of Monica, uh, and just felt it like felt it viscerally in all the way through all of my veins. And so the last ten minutes was, I don't think I breathed once you know I, I'm sure I did I'm still alive but I don't feel like I took a breath for the last 10 minutes where where everything that she's been holding kind of comes together and I also loved the um I mean it's you know it's an American movie I loved the portrayals of different kinds of faith different kinds of Christianity and yeah. because faith is such a problematic part of American politics and society um but it's it's sort of not really explored enough in American films, I don't think. And I love the way that Lee Isaac Chung wove that through this. God, it's a beautiful film. We're so lucky. We're so lucky. And also how extraordinary that last year's number one was Parasite and this year's number one is Minari. And it just feels like, ah, here we go. We're away. We're away laughing now, Hollywood. This is the direction. These Go are the Koreans. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> I love my people. I'm very proud of us. <laughs> we keep winning. <laughs> my dream is for it to push uh, American cinema to do so much better, but my fear is that it's actually going to result in people being like, we need to less attention on the, They can't win any more awards or whatever. It'll be like, ugh. I know. Uh, look, the Hollywood Reporter has just published a story with the headline Oscars. Has Parasite ushered in a golden age of odd films? And I'm odd just like, films. <laughs> yeah. I can't even read the rest of that story. What, like, odd because of your Western viewpoint? Come on, come on, guys. Things were so normal back when The Shape of Water could win an Oscar. <laughs> it's like, that, like, yeah, that ship has sailed on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so second highest rated Nomad Land. We not only accept the tyranny of the dollar, the tyranny of the marketplace, we embrace it. Uh, we gladly throw the yoke of the tyranny of the dollar on and live by it our whole lives. We workhorses had to gather together and take care of each other. And that's what this is all about. Chloe Jaws, beautiful, oh my God, uh, set piece for Frances McDormand to just show us who she is and the wonderful David Strathairn, who I just, I didn't even know he was going to be in the movie. So I didn't either. Kinda, oh my God, that sold it for me. He's been my thirst uncle for about 30 years <laughs> of movies now. And um, and then the rest of the cast are not, in fact, professional actors, but in, in Chloe Jaws, um, you know, fantastic uh, way that she makes stories. She brings people in from the world of the story that she's telling. So how was Nomadland for you? I just watched it this morning, actually, um, right before this. Ah, and I cried like several different times. It was so incredibly, incredibly moving. I like texted Demi right after and was like, oh my God, this is like the best ever. Yeah, um, yeah I loved it. And I loved Demi's review of it too. Oh, thank you. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Which wasn't so much a review of the film, but a review nope. of money <laughs> yeah here's my review of money it's crazy three stars uh i i do feel it's like maybe the movie i've thought the most about since uh watching it and like every day i just i think so much about 
just this one scene in particular with uh, a character, Bob Wells, and uh, what he says in it. And I, I just like, it feels like it stuck with me so much that it's, I, I'm like hoping it has the same effect on everyone else because it also feels like the kind of movie that I, I think, I'm like, if I were to suggest this to like my parents, somebody would be like, ah, oh, it seems pretty slow, but I'm like, but it's just so rewarding and it's so uh, sweet and uh, loving. And it's just such a delicate and beautiful movie where every little thing feels like, it's the kind of thing that you uh, look at while you're watching. You're sort of like, oh, it's just a woman living her life. And then sort of like all together, you're like, well, yes, but it's a woman living her life uh, in a way that you don't think people usually can live their lives. And by that measure, it is beautiful. And by that, like the things she sees when she's out on the road and the people she meets and like their lives. And it's all of these things sort of painting a, a portrait of uh, like, people that you wouldn't necessarily uh, think of as like doing okay. And I think it's so beautiful and so humanizing and like distinctly American in a way that it's like, there's a critical way to say that, but I also mean it in the, in like a loving way where it's like, this is the world. This, this is the people that inhabit our world, like past any sort of like political affiliation or just even like belief or like sort of, I don't know, headline. It's just sort of like, this is, I don't know. It's just, it's so wonderful. I was just going to say, like, when I was watching it, I kept thinking, like, how did Chloe do this? Like, how, yeah. I mean, they're just, you know, all she uses non-professional actors, as you said, like, with their previous work, the writer and all of that, like, and I just, I'm just so astounded by how she gets such incredible, like, authentic performances quotes um from these non-professional actors and they all you know they all have like their own name like their real name too which i also just adds to that um realism of it yeah. so i just yeah the whole time i was just like how did she get them to do this <laughs> I, I loved and uh, not just that but also a film that takes place you know in a van the generosity of the wide shots and the long shots oh, the, wow, yeah. the just the gener the cinem cinematographic is that a word generosity of letting us see the landscape and letting us see it in in long 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 moments you know as the van drives down a road or as fern francis character just sort of stops on a cliff top to take it all in and I love that. I love that the, the duality of the of the you know confined space that she exists in, but she doesn't because she exists in in this landscape. I keep There's... thinking I would love to see a companion piece, which is the story of the reservation that the nomads meet on once a year to to swap information, and you could sort of see you could see the residents of that reservation every now and then, you know, driving past on their little four by fours with their flags and it was not it was a great it was a great nod to kind of you know the the original original land occupiers and their generosity in bringing these nomads you know onto their land once a year but I wanted to know more about them but not in the context of this film so I'd love to see that companion piece at some point. But there are little scenes where we get to learn about other nomads in a way that you sort of it's like, the, I think like the the smallest bit of her being like, all right, well, let's talk about the political or sort of thing that puts people in this place. And it's like, just subtle, like, it's just a little enough that it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming, but it is still very like heartwarming and uh, inviting. And I, I loved that so much. Do you think you'll ever buy anything from Amazon ever again? <laughs> I, in my head, I'm like, no. And I canceled my account ages ago, but then I'm also like, well, the closest grocery store to me is a Whole Foods. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. I just love that whole aspect of it as well that, you know, you can't, I love films where you're, you're seeing a character in a setting, but in your mind, you're seeing kind of the globe as well. Like yeah. the, the global ramifications of what that character in that, in that one setting and that one job is doing. And that every time she went to do a shift at Amazon, I felt that weight of, ah, ah, yeah. And also that, that box is too big for that item. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that many times. Just like the, the tape and the oh, is that how they do it? But right. I also I kept having this thought of like how just going back to like how'd she do that? Like I kept having that thought when uh, in directing the actors, but also just in the plant. I'm like, do they get to shoot in an actual? Pl-? Just so many things. I'm like, I would love to hear her talk about every aspect of this movie. Ah, uh, there's so much to uncover in the story. Yeah. I'd love to move on to to the third highest rated film and then to uh, skip quickly through some of the sort of genre and most popular past parts of the 2020 year in review. And so number three, another American film about existence and the meaning thereof. Uh, and that is Soul, Pixar's newest animated mm. feature. By the way, why do you sound like a middle-aged white lady? I don't, this is all an illusion. Huh? This whole place is a hypothetical. I could sound like this if I wanted to. Or sound like this instead. I could even sound like you. Life is so unfair. I don't want to die. Somebody called the ambulance. I just use this voice because it annoys people. It's very effective. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Did we watch that together? I don't. We remember. did. That's one of the very few we did not watch together. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's like <laughs> the handful that we didn't. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but I did watch it. But I, I watched it on I watched it on your Disney Plus account. Okay, <laughs> so go. we kind of did. <laughs> hey, just um, a sh- small shout out to all the subscription payers. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got the one friend that is the hookup for everyone else, and I'm that yeah. one friend for yes, several thank you, of Demi. mine. I guess you're very welcome. <laughs> no, I liked it. I mean, I think I I thought it was really really sweet. I thought it was. Um, nice that Pixar was like focusing on just like, you know, like a a middle-aged teacher character is like the protagonist. And I think that's neat. It's just kind of about it's it's being alive and like the scope is both small and big at the same time. I thought it was cool, even though I I don't know about Tina Fey being cast in that role. (laughs) I've got a question. Why why do we hate Tina now? I don't hate Tina. It's it's not not that I hate her. What is going on though with the Tina Fey hate? There are like a few reasons that I'm like, okay, I could understand people not liking Tina Fey. It does feel like every so often she sort of either steps in it with something that she makes and then people are like, I don't like this. And then she sort of is very reactionary and being like, oh, everyone's so offended. And she's like, ah, that's not what we're saying here. But I do do like Tina. Right. Yeah. But I also, I do like Tina Fey. I just think, and not to speak for what Mia's saying here, it just feels very strange. This is another movie where it's like, okay, I don't want to spoil it, but it is the conceit of the movie. So if you haven't uh, seen Soul yet, just hit that 15 second forward thing. But I think it's just the idea that like- There's a it's cat and a man movie. and a man and a cat. Right, it's like but. the black man goes into an animal and then a white woman goes into, is like the black man for the most of the movie. And it's just like a hard thing to deal with after like, just, I think the the whole thing of like black characters in anim- animating films being animals has been criticized mm. for so long that it's just like, oh, this again- Right. But okay, yeah. but the co-director is Kemp Powers, who also right. wrote the film. So does that help in any way or mm. I think it, it helps. It's just really like if they had just cast like a black woman, 
or something you know it's just it's just very dis, uh jarring i guess to see like this white lady's voice coming out of uh, a black man just especially because of the history of as we did like just like the history of film and all the, the racism in there so it's mm. not i don't think it's movie breaking by any means right. um it just it, it was just like this little thing that was like i just wish yeah. they had done something else with that but it's not necessarily like an attack on tina technically speaking it's a soul and they go they take length yeah. to be like it's not even a white woman but it's like i, yeah. I think it's just it's, it's like it's, it's hard to kind of divorce thing. the reality of the industry from the film yeah it's I, I guess, and but it's but I look at the cast list and I'm like, she's kind of the only white woman as well. Yeah, you know, we've got Richard Ayoade, we've got the amazing yeah. and you know, and can't speak highly enough of her and as a personal friend, Rachel House, who is just the best as Terry, oh, the the little rat uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, the little. I don't no, know if it's a rat. I called well, it a rat, but. A rat. <laughs> But sort of obsessed with the abacus and, you know, yeah. the souls ascending souls, into yes, yes. Yeah. And Felicia Rashad and David Diggs and, you know, Graham oh, Milton, sure. Diggs. But yeah. there's a lot of inclusion there. And then yes. there's Tina Fey. It's Faye, such, so, it's yeah. like, it's so, like she's saying, it's not world breaking. It's like, it's it's a footnote of like, oh, here's a thing. Mm -hmm. But, and I, I worry that even like just talking about it made people go like, oh, great. So souls ruined. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, no. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not. Just a little note. That's all. It's like watching the social network and being like, "Oh, it's weird that it's raining there." It's like it's not ruining the movie. It's just being like, "Here's <laughs> yeah. a thing I thought okay, about." Okay, okay. There's been so much talk about like racial representation in animation lately, with like BoJack Horseman and uh, Big Mouth sort of like sort of coming to terms with how they have like cast voice actors for like uh, characters of color. And I think it's a just it's such a it's such a good conversation to be having now and it's happening mm -hmm. at the same time as this movie, which is why I was just kind of like, hmm. But yeah. it, like, again, it's a great movie. <laughs> and so. a little shout out there yeah. to um, Harry Kondabolu for his work in there yes, as well on that. Challenging the Simpsons, which was hard work and he got a lot of shit for it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, it was, but it was important work. I did love Soul. I did enjoy all the jazz stuff. I thought that was completely beautiful. Fantastic. I I understand the concept of taking a middle-aged man who's just been given like a steady job but still wants to follow his dream and asking him to slow down like we all need to slow down and like we've all sort of been made to slow down in the last year and just you know enjoy the small moments but I feel between this and I can't talk much about it because spoilery but between this and Sylvie's Love which also features a black jazz musician I feel like uh, black jazz musicians in particular, but sort of artists in general, are, I, I didn't quite understand what Pixar, who are artists, were getting at in making the principal character an artist uh, when we already know, like well, us, us creatives already know between sort of trying to find the next gig to pay the rent or trying to get pregnant in between tours you know and that taking years we already know how hard our purpose in life is and I don't feel like that was necessarily the best like I want to take the jazz part of soul and put that in another movie <laughs> and then the what is the meaning of life part of soul and put that in another movie because I I just I really felt attacked as an artist um, by being told stop focusing on the thing you love and start you know focusing on the people who love you i yeah like i get is, it get it is but. that what it's trying to say what i took from it is and this is as someone who oftentimes will be like 
doing things that people would be like, that's great. I'm glad you're doing well. And I'm like, I'm not doing well. I'm still waiting to do well. I'm just, I'm, I'm almost there. And it's like, you, are you enjoying the thing you're doing? It's like, no, it's like, why are you not enjoying the thing you're doing? It's like, cause I'm just waiting to get there. And it's like, you're living so much for the, uh, this like unreachable, this destination that right. you are kind of doing the thing on the way there and you're not enjoying it. And it's like, well, you're not ever going to enjoy it unless you just enjoy the thing you're doing and stop like, uh, living in the idea that like, you'll get to a place where you get to enjoy it. But why a jazz musician? <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we had that in La La Land. Why not a, 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 a polluting capitalist or a, you know, That's, yeah, you know good someone point. who runs prisons for profit? Like, why not those people? Why a jazz musician? That was my biggest thing. Because who's going to sympathize with a polluting capitalist in the first act? <laughs> well, another day of dumping sludge into the river. <laughs> In the, in the context of the year in review, there's always that one film that swoops in at the last minute that kind of uplifts us all and and also lands on a, a you know, in, in cinemas as a blockbuster or on something like Disney Plus so that a lot more people can see it so it can rise up the ranks. I get it. And it is beautiful. But yeah. I not- also think it's interesting how the, those top three of Minari, Soul, and Nomadland are all kind of about how jobs are stupid. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it's like all three of them. That's it's like uh, working and jobs like aren't going to fulfill you and your soul. Basically, it's like what they're saying, where it's like they're necessary, but are they? Bad year um, for and, that message, though. Yeah, yeah I, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Where it's just like a kind of grappling with like this very American idea of um, how like jobs are so important here just like it's so much it's so entwined with your identity and and I think it's interesting that these films are kind of pushing back against that and being like you are so much more than (laughs) your job and I I I don't know I think that's interesting that these top three all kind of revolve around that jobs are stupid that's my takeaway jobs are stupid I love it So um, in a little while we're going to be bringing in a couple of guests uh, related to a section of the year in review that is new this year we we often will highlight uh the top 10 in specific genres and this year we've added a few extra categories and one is crime and that is where our special guests will appear one is music film which we broke out when we uh i mean basically there's just there are always documentaries about musicians but the music film as a as a thing has been appearing more and more and there's there's not a lot of sense in, in letting them sit in best documentary because it means that a lot of really great documentaries that are telling documentary style stories would miss out and everything Taylor Swift put out in 2020, which was like three or four or five billion things would be in that top 10. So like, and no offense to Taylor, we love her. We wanted her to have her own section. So we, we made a music film section and then, um, it was not Taylor who took the number one spot. It was a, a film about a very big Brazilian musician called Emicida. Has anyone heard of Emicida? No. Mm-hmm. He is a, he's a black Brazilian musician and the film, It's All for Yesterday, tells the story of Brazil uh, as well as the story of his music. Um, and so there's concert footage and then there's him and it's, it's fantastic. I just love that an international film has taken the top spot in music film. Uh, we also did top romance, and uh, so in, in the top ten ro- most romantic films for 2020, Levin Aikens, and then we danced took the number one spot. 
And the highest rated narrative miniseries is Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, which oh. is the thing I haven't been able to stop thinking about this year. Sorry again about this morning. This black hat had me like... It's all dirty up, man. I just need to, you know, just gather the pieces. Any of the pieces? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we, we were at the cash point together and then you walked me back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 45 minutes. So did we get an Uber or because... Yeah, we got Uber and then I went back to Ego Dev to meet D-Ray. Okay. You know, it was just last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went back to his hotel after school. And, uh, yeah. Can I see your Uber receipts, please? How did that sit for both of you? I, I loved I May Destroy You. I, that was one of the few. I'm not good at TV because I'm watching movies all the time. I'm like, you can't log TV on Letterboxd for the most part, except for miniseries, which is why I like exclusively watch miniseries and <laughs> actual TV shows. Um, but I, I really did love I may destroy you quite a bit. What more is there to say about it than people have already said, but I just, uh, I loved the meta-ness of it. I loved the being able to see all the cracks in the writing in the very best way. I love that. I love that uh, laying yourself bare and allowing yourself to be your own worst enemy. Just incredible, incredible, yeah. incredible. Yeah, I, I like how it also kind of dissects the idea of like the perfect victim Mm -hmm. um which is just like the myth of like if you like are assaulted or something and like the victim has to be the squeaky clean like angel or else nobody's gonna care whereas the Michaela Cole character is definitely not that and I just I just think that's a very authentic and interesting thing to make art about because so many people who suffer from sexual assault and things like that are not perfect and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't like have we shouldn't have empathy for them or anything so um, yeah. I think that's and a tricky, tricky subject, and she nailed it. I feel like every time, like, a, a thing with a, a harasser, like, an, an assaulter is sort of becomes a piece of news, there's, like, a large reaction of, like, these aren't all, there's, like, a gradient to this. We need to have a conversation around it. And it's, like, I feel like this is the conversation. It shows so many different sort of, like, different types of things that can be considered assault, and it doesn't just go, like, and every single one of the people here is like every everyone's a rapist or like it doesn't go like and they're not all bad or right it's just i think it's very it's just good at showing the gradient of assault and like the ways that it is treated differently by different people and i, I think it's just great in that regard yeah it yeah. shows the nuances of of friendship the Nuance. highs and lows of friendship mm -hmm. and how you forgive each other and support each other and see each other it shows how this goddamn industry works you know the publishing industry the tv and film industry through the experiences of of the best friend going to all those auditions and then mm -hmm. doing and saying the things that she thinks will get her the job in yeah. the room because everything else is working against her it, it, you know it shows london gay culture in a really really interesting way and of course you know london west indian children of immigrants sort of second generation along it just like there's just so many how do you pack that much into one series it's just yeah she's an absolute genius and hope is having a very long rest after that piece of brilliance um uh have either of you seen uh, in our you know the bottom rung the kind of hilarious part of the year in review the most divisive the most loved to hate the most uh, <laughs> that section. I have not seen The Kissing Booth 2. I have not even seen The Kissing Booth 1. I, I don't not. know if I will. 
I have seen the kissing booth one. I'll admit it. I have oh, whatever. I saw that one. I have not seen the second one. I could not put myself through it after watching the first. I was like, I can't, please don't make me do this again. <laughs> that is fine. Um, most divisive. I'm, I'm stoked that cuties is not number one on this list. It, oh, the cuties discourse. Uh, oh, no. That was a, that was a hard two weeks yeah. or however especially when it was like just yeah. off of the poster and then it got worse after them. I uh, that's all and then they all came for letterboxed and I I'll, I'll be I'll be honest I didn't sleep for a few nights oh. I mean that you know that shit that's my day job and yeah. it was horrendous it was horrendous watching and then uh shortly after that um feels good man came out the documentary mm. about Pepe the frog yeah. And I just, I just wish I'd had that film to reference as the cutie stuff was happening because, yeah, sure, I can go online and read all about how QAnon starts and people get taken down rabbit holes. And I, I also get that in 2020, people are spending a lot of time at home alone going down rabbit holes with nobody in the room saying, hey, stop that. Just let's go for a walk. Just stop it. But wow, it was, it really came out of left field and I should have seen it coming, but what a fucking debacle um, around what is an incredibly well-told film. Uh, you know, sure, it's not a five-banger, but it is such a beautiful and thoughtful and well-researched and uh, sensitive debut. And it feels like every second review I read completely misses this whole other plot in the film, which is the mother and the second marriage and the cultural expectations around that family and the particular part of Paris they live in and uh you know all of the things that are happening to this to this girl at you know the age of puberty that are not being dealt with by the women in her life and so she has to go and find friends to find the answers and I just I love that film so much and I wish I'd been able to watch it with clear eyes for the first time mm. like if, if I'm thinking about first time watches in 2020 that I have regrets about it's seeing cuties after that poster dropped and mm. the people who buy into QAnon bullshit came running. To, I think discourse yeah. will ruin a movie sometimes. Mm. I, it's so hard. And it's like, I think late as of late, I've been getting this thing of just being like, okay, well, if I know I'm going to watch a movie, there's no reason to watch the trailer. But then sometimes it's like, I know I want to watch a movie, but it's like, like with Promising Young Woman, where it's like the discourse has been just going for so long and so many people haven't even seen the movie and they're going to have to go into it and be like, all right, I guess I will have to have an opinion about this. And yeah. it's just, it's, it feels hard. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Promising Young Woman, we did something new this year. Uh, like I was saying, we've added a few genre categories and one of them is crime. And the number one film there is Emerald Fennel's Promising Young Woman. Also making the crime top 10 is Evan Morgan's The Kid Detective, which premiered at Toronto and is available in the US on Blu-ray, DVD and digital from January 19th. I used to be loved. I used to be a kid detective. When I was 13, I solved the case of the missing fundraiser money. It was Rory Beans, the neighborhood knucklehead. Please welcome to the show the Kid Detectives writer, director Evan Morgan and Abe Applebum himself, Adam Brody. How are you both? Great. Thank you for having us. Yes. Thanks very much. Can I ask a question about the top 10? Yeah. Is it comprised of votes from Letterboxd or is this something you guys 
it, it, this is this your judgment it's just mia demi and me we just decided <laughs> on behalf yeah. of all no it's not i didn't want it to be on there at all <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm no it is comprised of uh the entire letterbox community and there Great. needs to be uh yeah all there right. needs to be a, a minimum number of votes to even get on so a lot of all right you know smaller or uh smaller released films didn't make it that maybe should have that maybe would have kicked yeah. you out but um no no no, no. the kid detective <laughs> is fully deserving of being in this top 10 we've all seen it we all enjoyed it and um it is exciting that more people will get to see it this month uh awesome wonderful yeah and so yeah. it's a bit of a um a race for you guys to get it into toronto in the first place right yes it was it was crazy we um I think we like approved the DCP on Friday and then I read a, the first review on like Saturday or Sunday or something. Really, approved really tight. DCP. What's a DCP? Thank you. Uh, that's like the, 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 that's like the digital projected, um, whatever they send to the theaters. It's like the 21st version of printing the, printing the print, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. For the it's digital an MP4 projection. file on a USB drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, that's the extent of my uh, tech uh, <laughs> insight, and that's something I learned when we were approving the DCP. But uh, it was it was crazy with this, and um, you know, it, it was this has been a really long term project for Adam and myself. I started writing it, I think, over eight years ago, and we've been working on it together for that exact amount of time. And uh, it took a long time to finance. That that was the biggest stall, uh, stalling point for us. And so, so surreal to then be in a situation where uh, we're making these decisions that, you know, some of them are ornamental, but then some of them are like significant in terms of how long we're going to stay on this shot in the, like the last five minutes of the movie, like really big things that I'm, you know, learning at the time, I'm, I'm not going to have any opportunity to second guess or, or, uh, uh, or tweak after the fact. It was just like very much, you know, that last, that last two weeks for us was just insane with decisions that were just set in stone instantly. And it was all really just yeah, because of the Toronto premiere. I'll also add that filming feels that way too, because when you're kind of attached to a script for years and years and you've thought about it a lot, and then the truth is there's a whole bunch of choices that have to, and I'm sure you guys know this, but I mean, there's a whole bunch of choices that just have to wait until the week before or five minutes before or whatever, you know, what's somebody going to wear? Here's the two shirts. What do you like? And even I had a mini freak out because I'd had this, you know, script, this project forever and character in my head. And then like two weeks before I was like, is our costume mirror on yet? Can we, can we figure out what I'm going to look like and start, you know, I didn't even know what I was going to wear yet. And it's thrilling too. It's thrilling to be able to be in like the throes of it and just make a bunch of decisions on the fly, but also nerve wracking. I don't think people understand enough how filmmaking time is so weird like it's completely warped and and the kind of brain you have to have to do this stuff where you are spending eight years in sort of development and then you have to make micro decisions in, a, in an absolute instant. It's bonkers. Yeah, it was a tough adjustment for me because I, you know, lived with the script for so long and had played with it for so long. Like, you know, I was so at home in that world by the time we actually went to shoot it. I was just always tweaking scenes here and there just for my own amusement sometimes. And then to be in a situation really like preceding the actual production and the prep and then for sure on the first day of being having of finally having to make an actual choice. And I think everyone was a little worried about me because I was like, oh, oh God, I don't know what uh, <laughs> like certainly those around me were basically saying you got to just. You gotta just choose, <laughs> like just, you, you can't be too precious about every single thing. Let it Are go. There, like, quick decisions you had to make on set that you think like, it was like, oh, this wasn't in the script, but I'm so glad that I came up with this like on the fly. 
there weren't a lot of, of moments where we shot something that wasn't scripted like because it's a heightened world everything is so you know staged in that way there were things that that happened in the weeks before we shot where I learned that we were gonna have to lose an entire day of our schedule uh, because we just didn't have the budget for it. Uh, and so I was like, oh, well, I mean, but that, we, that will kill the movie. And so I actually had to extract what was at the time the most elaborate sequence in the entire script. And I had to remove that, I think two weeks before we shot and then supplement it. I would say that kind of conveniently, a lot of those choices, I think, ultimately serve the movie anyway, because I can look at a, a version with, you know, of, of this elaborate sequence on our budget where maybe it just didn't work. So uh, there's this whole sequence that's gotten, gotten cut that's super entertaining, I think, but just dragged the plot. Um, but there's a different, you know, the... Oh, no. Oh. Oh, what a time. <laughs> what a time. What is the sequence? Oh, no. This is a prank. This is a prank. <laughs> it's a total prank. Adam has... Or he's setting up a mystery for us to solve now. Yeah, yeah. we this can like do it. The kid detective part two. We mm -hmm. can do it. It's interactive. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, hopefully, uh, I mean, if that's his third computer, hopefully, I hope yeah. he knows that, that he can plug those in. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to show up on his phone. Just <laughs> Okay, Evan, do you know about the sequence that Adam is I know, talking about. I know the sequence he's referring to. I won't, it's not as uh, amusing a story coming from me, but basically um, there was this very elaborate like uh, tangent in the story where uh, when he, the character reaches his low point, he kind of hits his bottom. He has a band which we cut entirely out of the movie that is only referenced to this point where we just know that the character has a band and they have this show happening in the, uh, in the nearby city. And um, one thing that we also extracted from the film was when he, he's uh, interviewing the parents of the kid who was murdered, that kid actually has an older cousin who's in her late 20s who is ha there helping the parents out. And he, uh, she and Adam have this sort of weird beat where it feels like, oh, there's like a little something there and it's completely inappropriate given the circumstances. And he tells her about his show. And uh, so then he's there playing the drums in this sort of dive bar and uh, her and her friends arrive. And that becomes the catalyst for basically this epic drug fueled night where they're all doing the ego booster drugs and uh adam basically we, we we cut to the next morning and he's basically naked in bed with all of these people and uh they're trying to rouse him and shake him and slap him in the face and he's not waking up and then they panic and burst into just this hysterical uh you know frenzy uh uh, they drag his naked body down the hallway of the apartment and ultimately feed it into a garbage chute. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then he wakes up on the pile of garbage the next day, which is in the movie. And uh, yes. uh, you know, we just omitted the stuff in between. And um, oh, wow. Okay, so question uh, for Mia and Demi, because we've all seen it. Was that sequence necessary or not? <laughs> That's wild. Well, okay, I like how his, his low point in the movie now is just him like hitting the bong and playing video games. And I'm like, yeah, I do that every day. She, <laughs> oh no. She literally did, we were watching it last night over FaceTime and she... <laughs> Welcome back, Adam. Hello, Adam. There's just a little bit, I, a little bit I like yeah. to do. I think what's happening is like, I woke these two computers up from the dead and I think like Zoom uses more energy than even plugged in. It can like, is if that's possible. They're at both at like 2%, but they're plugged in. And I just think they like. Are you like a family of Luddites? Yes. My <laughs> wife is much better than me. She's much better than me, but we're both bad. That must God. make for some quite good mental health through a pandemic to like 
yeah. be off off the doom scrolling and yeah. You no, know, I can. I I mean, I can work Twitter. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just can't do a meeting. So it's all right. Even filled us in. We we know we know about the missing scene. We're just discussing whether it, whether it was necessary and and actually. Oh yeah. Probably well, wasn't, I was going right? to say it wouldn't be necessary anyway, but he was really pushing me the whole time to go full frontal. And I, um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it is funny. <laughs> it could be funny, but I had reservations. And um, really up till the night before, he, he talked to me and um, um, we had a nice conversation and I ultimately didn't, but it was it was a conversation up until the moment and i still felt plenty exposed um, we watched it, it together last night and i remember being like okay so when we open the zoom meeting i'm just gonna be like adam your butt let's talk about this <laughs> <laughs> and since you brought it up it. it's like fair game yeah yeah, yeah. 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 even um, adam's it could have been, been so much more <laughs> I saw, like, in, in the very early days, I, I think you, you might have even been the first person who suggested going full frontal, because I remember we were having a conversation with uh, our costume designer talking about that sequence, and you're like, do I do it? I don't know. And then I was like, oh, he's entertaining it. He's entertaining it. I can, like, nurture this little, like, you know, seed that's in his head and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, have him uh, bearing all in this absurd sequence of this, you know, uh, of this movie, which I think, like, you know, it, it would have been a pure novelty. Like it would have just been so, so ridiculous. I think that that sequence, you know, even the way that we shot it, like it, it was still the funniest thing in the rough cut. Like it was the most audacious uh, sequence in the entire movie. Just one of those examples where it's like, at that point, you know, this movie has already offered so many red herrings and sort of like dangled these, you know, would be clues in front of the audience that turn out to really just be nothing. That at that moment, you know, getting towards the end of the second act, it just was too much. Like it was just too far to take people in the wrong direction when we're supposed to be kind of getting closer to the truth. I mean, it doesn't really matter whether you would have done it or not at this point. I think maybe if you had, yeah. we would never have removed it because it would have been too, too for the good. Bonus but, yeah. yeah, it yeah, would have been cool right. to see him in a band though. You said he plays, you played drums in it? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was okay, fun. do you know how to play drums? Yeah. Are yeah, you a drummer? Well, okay, wouldn't be the, I'm not the first a drummer, time. but I can play drums. It wouldn't be the first time you've been in a band on screen as you were also Dave Rogalski and Gilmore Girls. That's true. I was also in a band in Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's right, Body. There we go. Yeah, my favorite band. band. Third band. Demi, Demi, Adam, have you ever met before? Oh, no, oh, no, no, we haven't. Have we? No. <laughs> Wait, no. what? Uh, Adam, I, do you I know covered, who Demi is? <laughs> I covered no. Gilmore Girls for like five solid years as part of a podcast. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly way after, uh, yeah. Yes, very long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. And can we just talk about Jennifer's body? Because in terms of 2020 and the kind of viewing that we have seen, the viewing patterns we've seen in the letterbox community. So first of all, there's a there's a bit of a salient statistic involved in our year in review, which is in any given year of, you know, when we're looking at the year in review, the percentage of films from that year that have been watched compared to any other year in uh -huh, cinema uh -huh. sits around... 20 25 percent in 2020 the percentage of 2020 films watched by our members is 11 percent yeah, yeah so there's the like there's the real industry yeah. news in terms mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. number of films that got released what we did do of course was dive back into the canon and yeah. what has been happening as more and more people have been joining letterboxd and a, a wider a wider demographic of people is a lot of films that were um 
marketed completely incorrectly, like Jennifer's Body, when they first came out, uh, the rating on Letterboxd has been climbing, steadily yeah, climbing, as, yeah. as people realise that, you know, this is actually a masterpiece um, of feminist cinema. Those are interesting metrics to be able to peruse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even why are you uh, why are you in the weeds on Letterboxd as a filmmaker? Why would you do it to yourself? Oh, why would I like read the reviews that we're getting on Letterboxd? Uh, for the simple for the simple reason that we have not had an opportunity to, to screen this with an audience. We've never watched the film with a live audience. And uh, it's just a very strange thing. It makes it harder to let go of the process of making it. And um, uh, and so for me personally, you know, I'm hungry for feedback, you know, with the good and the bad, I'm hungry for all of it because I, I just haven't had, you know, an opportunity to move to the next level with this film in, in, in terms of, you know, saying goodbye to the process of creating it and enjoying the process of people interacting with it. And so sometimes it makes me feel amazing. You know, uh, the Letterbox community has, has, has made me feel like we're in the right place in the sense that, you know, it's a, it's a film that uh, references a lot of older films. And, you know, if, if, if a film centric kind of culture and community isn't um, gonna enjoy that, then, you know, we, we really messed up somewhere. And uh, uh, so it, it's, it's been really reassuring. And, uh, and then of course there are reviews that are like extraordinarily, mean and like you like know, what like what's your favorite what's your favorite mean oh, just, one? The people what's the like, oh, worst thing tries to be a comedy and a drama and a mystery and fails at like all three it's just like oh god all right uh but you know i, I think as well like uh it, it, it's just it's funny uh, uh, the one thing that is is particularly funny to me is that a lot of um what you read when you're reading something that is very positive it's like they have a completely counter experience to the people who are, are talking about it in negative terms where they're referring to the exact same things. It's like, oh, the tone of this was what made it for me or the tone of this didn't work at all. You know, it's like, it's, it's strange. And so because um, it's this kind of very contrary uh, experience that people are having, it spares me from taking any of it too personally because you just kind of understand that, oh, okay, you know, like the same way that I know that, that the work of particular, you know, screenwriters isn't necessarily for me. It doesn't really, like, it's not my sense of humor. Um, you know, it, it, again, with a film that is a little bit elevated and it's certainly quirky, hopefully not in a way that feels too cute. Also, or, you, know. you know, they're overwhelmingly extremely positive. <laughs> so that doesn't hurt, you know. If they were brutal, <laughs> maybe, you know. It's true. And, and I think that was the other thing is before uh, TIFF, like, again, no one had really, no one had watched the movie. And so we just weren't sure what the response would be. We knew we were super happy with it. And it, it was a journey getting it to that point because, you know, this sequence with, with the garbage shoot, I mean, that's like the most ridiculous example, but uh, the script was, I think, two, uh, uh, 128 pages. Uh, the first cut of the film was two hours and 15 minutes. The current cut of the movie is, I think, 95 or something. And so we lost a half an hour. This is the one kind of silver lining uh, of the whole lockdown experience was that it removed a lot of urgency for us. So, you know, the editor and I got to work on this for uh, nine months, I think, eight months. And what we ended up with just felt like it clicked together so much more successfully than what we first watched when we had the whole thing assembled, which I know isn't a unique experience, but it was certainly again strange for me because I had worked on the script for so long and I was so confident about what we shot and kind of arrogant, I guess, in a way on set being like, oh, we're not gonna remove that. We're not gonna cut this. When our producers tried to appeal to my, you know, sense of our economy and, and, and uh, you know, use our resources effectively. Um, so that was a bit, very big lesson. And I think, yeah, it, it, it is really the reason why I still will refresh the letterbox stuff, we'll refresh Twitter and look because 
we just haven't, you know, we, we, it's as good as we're gonna get uh, releasing a movie this way. And the digital release is, you know, so exciting for us because it's only been available theatrically in the United States. And it's, again, it's a very strange time to only have your movie playing in theaters. It's gonna be interesting for us and hopefully very, you know, uh, fun when, when people actually have access to it in their living rooms and, yeah, and don't sure. have to, you know, brave the plague in order to go <laughs> take a look at the film. Seeing this movie is probably the safest place you could be though in theaters, because you'd be the only one, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I read a lot of that too. People are like, oh, it was the only one in the theater. It was amazing. It's like, great. <laughs> the box office report. <laughs> yeah. Did you buy some popcorn as well? I hope so. So Promising Young Woman is, is also out. And Adam, you're also in that. My apartment is a few blocks from here. Would you want to have a drink before him to hang? Mm. I'm just literally right here. You want to have like one beer? Yeah. Can you take us to 242 Rally Drive instead, please? It's a couple blocks. Kumquat liqueur. Here we go, milady. Yay, Jerry. He's a fine, upstanding guy, isn't he? <laughs> now, did they say Jerry? It's so funny because I've read, I actually haven't seen the movie yet. I haven't got, I mean, I'd love to. I just. Um, what? It's great. You're great. Uh, back to the me being a Luddite. I, I, <laughs> they sent, I asked for like a screener and they sent me like a three-step authentic, uh, uh, authentication process thing. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I don't know. I'll just wait. I feel um, your pain. That's been the entirety of 2020 movie watching for, yeah, yeah. for like, many I'm of not, us. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to download this app and this. I just never mind. And then you but, watch um, it and your, your name is right across the middle of it. And you're like, I know I am. I, I know I am. <laughs> In the script, his name was Jez, but I've heard him described as Jerry a few times, so I assume that's what, I don't know, his name is now. It's what's in the press kit. It's what's in the credits, right, but right, hey, right, Jez. Right. Jez, I guess, is short for Jerry. But wait, know. so Je you Jez haven't seen the film. Have you Have you read the whole script? Do you know I've what read the whole happens? script. I've even seen my part because I've done ADR for it, but I haven't, I haven't seen the whole thing. No, I've definitely read the script. Okay. because you're wonderful. You're early on. Yeah, and yeah, things I know. Go, I know. Yeah. Anyway, the whole, the yeah. whole point of the question is, and Mia and I just, you know, before we jumped on, we're talking about the endings of both of these films and mm -hmm. how, you know, there's a beautiful sort of three-way uh, knowledge trickery that goes on with, with crimes and mysteries where it's sort of what the protagonist knows at any one point, what the antagonist knows and what the audience knows at any one point. And, and often the audience, there's that sweet, sweet moment where the audience knows everything just before the protagonist, but uh -huh. Promising Young Woman and The Kid Detective both steal that away from us, like, and not in a bad way either. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a da 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 moment in, in both films. And it's, uh, yeah, it's wild. No, Demi, you had, you had thoughts. You both oh, had thoughts. I, you, you both had to yes. go for a walk after Promising Young Woman, yes, right? We yes, we had to take a walk around the block and decompress and scream a little bit. Mm. There, <laughs> there was flailing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say I had a very similar, not flailing, but like feeling with Kid I Detective flailed. of just sort of that little, uh, just the sort of like, you get in sort of a comfortable rhythm of thinking you know where a movie's gonna go and then it just sort of like steals it from you but also fits in a way and it's like mm -hmm. it's like uh, working on a puzzle and then being like you, actually the puzzle pieces are flipped the other way around you're like oh and it's just such a very satisfying feeling mm -hmm. uh in mm -hmm. it, it's such a in both of these movies it's like a satisfying feeling that also comes with the darkness and you're mm -hmm. just like oh 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 mm -hmm. god uh mm -hmm. and it's like it doesn't feel good as much as it just feels like uh surprising and it's just like 
I don't know. In Promising Young Woman, it's one completely different thing than it is in Kid <laughs> Detective, but it's just... Yeah. No, yeah. but I mean, I think they're both... I, I know there's kind of a two-step pro- Promising Young Woman ending as well as Kid Detective. There's a couple revelations or, you know, shocking things. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think... I know what you're saying about they're both bleak, and yet there's something satisfying about that. And I think that just thematically they're so fitting, you know, and almost inevitable that to do it another way, even if it teases you that it could go that way. And even if you've been sort of groomed to expect that from not just these movies, but all movies that, you know, that wouldn't be true to the, to the themes and the, the, the trajectory of the characters, you know, sort of the realization that they're both really about trauma and an inability not necessarily to grow up, but to grow past mm-hmm. a certain point mm-hmm. in your life until until you have dealt with that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah. you know and to right. continue. And it's not going to be easy, and you're not going to get a thing. You know, you're not going to get a certificate and be cured. You know, it's it's um, dealing with it is dealing with like the darkness of it, and and more just sort of superficially and a little less deep. Like it's just a joy. And I've had the very good fortune. I was in a couple of movies last year that also have great endings and like to be an ending, you know, most of the time, like I would say like the vast majority of movies kind of run out of steam or the third act is a little perfunctory, you know, the best, best part of almost most movies are the first 30 minutes. And to have some of these movies be like the best part of them is the last act is, is, is really, really something. And it, it and, and I think as to your point of just like, it leaves you in such a good, even if it's bleak or whatever, it's a fucking ending. So it leaves you satisfied in a way and talking and um, yeah, it's a good feeling. So a bit rude to, to ask you to move on and talk about other movies other than your own, but Hey, that it. was the brief uh, <laughs> in, in 2020. What else? did you see that blew you away that had a fucking ending or you know a brilliant first 20 or or just totally mm-hmm. slayed you in, in in which way well i i'd like to ping pong with evan on this or uh, uh, i admittedly saw way less movies than i wanted to this year so i um i've been quarantined with kids and i've seen a lot of kids stuff a lot so to that end you know, I've seen Wolf Walkers like 15 times. Yeah, and, same. Uh, uh, Only yeah, 15. Yeah, it's beautiful. it's beautiful. I think we're up I to about do... 32 viewings at the moment. I love oh my it. God. My only note, if I was going to give it one little note, I would say I could go for 20% more of the sisterhood and 20% less of the... Uh, of the, the Overlord, right? Guy, the Overlord, yeah. exactly. Yes, um, I agree. Even though I like all the elements and there's a lot of themes I really like in there and it's gorgeous and... It's two girl protagonists, and it's um, that's beautiful. Uh, for my movies, and again, I, I didn't see so many I uh, wanted to and haven't yet, but plan to. But honestly, I got to say, I was looking. I wrote down a list of stuff I liked that I saw because I went through their website. My number one, like, kind of no notes, just that was a good time, is Invisible Man, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's just a solid popcorn, you know, with a good theme, too, and a way to <laughs> – a real like smart way into that story. You did it on a budget. It's pulpy, but it's scary. It's like tense as hell. It's like, I also like, I mean, it's not really part of it, but just the, a little bit of the backstory of like Universal doing a dumb idea of trying to make these movies for like a hundred million dollars, Avenger style. And then, you know, Blumhouse going, no, let's just make them scary. And then that just working on all cylinders. So 
Other than that, I, I like some other stuff, but I'll let Evan go. And then. I was definitely relying on you having seen more than me, for sure. Because <laughs> I, I, we, we also both had, like, kids in the last few months. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and, uh, and that has made it excuses. impossible to watch a movie <laughs> for me from beginning to end. And so I feel like the ones that I did see, I did a disservice to because... I like, I don't think there was a single one that we watched from the beginning to the end. And so there was either like, maybe it was a half hour that's, you know, broken up or maybe it was a day, maybe it was like three weeks sometimes. And uh, I was speaking with Jack as well the other month for the Letterboxd life and film thing. I, I the process of, as well, making this movie, I think, you know, like, uh, I was so, at the end of each day, I was so just like more inclined to watch something I'd already seen. So you're talking about the stats on Letterboxd of like the 10% or the 30% that it typically would be. Every time I was just like, oh, I'm tired. I just, I wanna just watch something I've already seen. It was a year full of rewatches for me. And only in these last, uh, the last weeks actually prior to um, having a kid where I was like, okay, it's time to cram. And so I did see a bunch of the things that like people are talking about. I saw Nomad La uh, Nomadland, I really liked it. Sound of Metal really liked it. The Assistant really liked it. Uh, well, never rarely, sometimes yeah. always, I thought was super effective too. Um, I still think that I, I haven't necessarily stumbled upon like the movie that totally lights me up this year and completely gets me like, you know, ranting. But uh, first 20 minutes of Pieces of a Woman were insane. We was watched that. It's on Netflix yeah. now. Yeah, I saw it at it TIFF. It, we, 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 oh, we were still like pregnant when we watched it, right? not knowing what it was about. And uh, it was oh, like, geez. yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly. It was like watching uh, Saving Private Ryan and then, you know, getting drafted. <laughs> or, 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 or you're watching it the day after you get drafted. It was pretty crazy. And, uh, but still so riveting that like, my partner didn't want to turn it off. She was like, you know, she was so kind of, uh, impressed and you know uh blown over by just like the the filmmaking that uh, uh we were able to do to, to put up with that particularly gruesome uh opening but uh yeah that was crazy my my i have a, a canadian filmmaker comrade who did a film called the 20th century which I, I don't imagine was super widely seen in the u.s but that movie is just completely ridiculous super creative it's about one of our first prime ministers but it's a completely whimsical sort of alt-universe kind of uh, approach to the subject and have uh, really exciting news for your friend evan oh um, great yes not many people saw it but enough people saw the 20th century for it to be in the top 10 of the 2020 highest rated comedies oh fantastic wow. wonderful yeah. great that's uh, that's awesome it's a happy day <laughs> Happy, happy day. Hooray. It is, it is super cool. Yeah. We are, we're getting the wrap up for you guys. Uh, and we have about a billion more films to, uh, to get through. Um, what if we're going to end on a, you know, an optimistic note in the, in the midst of a absolutely completely batshit insane week for American politics on top of rising pandemic numbers. What is the energy you're bringing into, into the industry in 2021? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think we're ready we're, to go. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, uh, yeah. Some positivity we've had. You know, we both had the good fortune of having stuff in the can when this happened, and to be able to work on it, Evan more than me. But I was fairly, you know, active in the post-production process for Kid Detective, and um, am I still there? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. you're here. Oh, okay, my my. <laughs> It was so dramatic. My, my, <laughs> like, picture, my, picture went, my picture went off and I was just so pissed. I can't see you guys now, but if you can uh, see me. what what we, what we saw was Adam just like 
you know, stamping the desk with his fist and I was waiting yeah. for the big declaration. Yeah, it was very <laughs> rousing. <laughs> Fucking computers. Um, anyways, uh, 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 yeah, no, I think we're bringing some, some positive energy into, uh, and I'm ready to go. I don't know. That's how I feel. I think we're both had, you know, kids and we're probably, I haven't spoken with Evan in a minute, but, you know, probably fairly well rested, you know, given that it's quarantine and uh, optimistic. Yeah, I think, look, we, we spent so long working on this movie. I think we're both super revved up to try and uh, get the next one on wheels and to try and do it, you know, as swiftly as we can. And who knows what it'll look like? Who knows how easy it'll be? I have friends who are uh, in production right now, and I know that it was, you know, there's just so much red tape and it's crazy to try and get things going. But uh, hopefully, you know, everything's going to start to move a little bit more quickly and... Uh, uh, I, yeah, really for me, I just like, we, we spent eight years doing this. Let's spend like a year and a half for two years doing the next one. And, uh, uh, I'm excited for sure. Hey, you're welcome to come mm. and film in New Zealand anytime. We, uh, oh, wow. yeah, we are mask We'd free. It is. Does it have to be a Lord of the Rings thing or can we do whatever? <laughs> you can do whatever. Joseph okay. Gordon-Levitt is down here. It could also be a Flight of the Concords thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have two properties, Lord of the Rings and Flight <laughs> of the Concords. And, you know, and even they have managed to merge those things with one yeah. song. Thank you both so much, Evan and Adam. You may go now. We're going to carry on with the rest of the year. Okay, wonderful. Thanks for having us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let's take a quick minute and dive into the mailbox to hear what other Letterboxd members rated tops in 2020. My favourite movie was Another Round, which I guess feels slightly weird to say because I've never actually touched a drink in my life. But I guess I just sort of found it relatable how the four main leads in the movie, they're all kind of at a crisis point in their lives. Every day is sort of starting to feel the same and they're just trying to experiment and you know figure something out. Which I guess in you know in pandemic times and lockdown hysteria and stuff, everyone can sort of relate to something like that. And you know, I really love the music choices. I mean, I love the ending. I think it's probably one of the best endings I've seen in a movie in a while. And it reminded me of Claire Denis' Beautiful as well. And I mean, you know, Mads Mikkelsen dancing jazz ballet to top off the movie. I mean, what's not to love about that? For the past few days, I found my way back to that Christmas day, where I ended up watching Soul twice. It is emotional and thought-provoking, and its ambitions are beautifully executed. You can definitely tell this was made out of passion for storytelling. Soul's release comes at an unprecedented time for many of us who struggle with this fundamental question. What is our purpose? Soul doesn't directly answer this question for us, but it's not meant to. With, along with the audience, it searches for an answer to the question of meaning, which we can find in the smallest of things be it looking at leaves gracefully fall from a tree or waves crash upon the shore. Overall, this film is a marvelous ode to life. Twenty twenty uh has been long enough already. It feels like we're still in it. I don't know. <laughs> feels like that year just went on and on and on uh, and like there was going to be some miracle when 2021 rolled around that would happen and they kind of it's just still crazy anyway let's move into wrap-up mode because the year in review is long and we could go on for another hour but uh I think that I'd rather go and watch another movie so in 2020 as movie lovers what were your viewing experiences like like if you could sum up what 2020 was like as a viewer uh, Demi, it sounds like you've now got a 
beautiful art house cinema in your in your yard but yeah. in response to to the experiences partially uh i i've realized that it is extremely important to me to watch movies with other people like which is very funny because i don't think of uh going to the movie theaters as like a communal experience but i do think of it as a sort of like uh attention grabbing experience and it's like uh i think it's important that uh when i go to a movie theater like it's just a big black box where you can only see a screen. It's like your entire vision of view. But whenever I'm watching a movie at home, uh, sometimes it's best uh, to have another person there just so it's like, I, I feel like I'm fully engaged with this thing or like uh, getting to have an experience with a person that I'm like, okay, this is the thing we're doing together. So it feels important for me to be either engaged in the movie or like talking about it with them. Whereas if I'm just watching a movie at home alone, it's just so hard for me to just do that and a lot of times i'll like be on my phone or be doing something else my mind will wander to other things i have to do and it's like it's so hard to watch a movie at home that i've had to like supplement it by doing other things that can take up my attention but not so much my attention so it's like i uh there was a period of time where i was just painting while i'd watch a movie and be like okay this is enough that it like is physically like allowing me to use my hands and do a thing but not so much that i can't be watching a movie at the same time or like i've been baking a lot lately and it's just so, like it's the only way that i can watch a movie alone without just like i don't know losing it it's so hard and it's like i want movie theaters back so much it is like it's the it's the only thing i want a vaccine for i don't care about my friends i'll see you at the i'll see you at dune okay i just <laughs> i just want to be at the vista theater in los angeles eating a greasy ass bucket of popcorn sitting in a, an aisle that's way too big and like eyeing a guy at the end of the aisle who's coughing too much Hey, look, I just thought of a brilliant poster and social media campaign for all those anti-vaxxers out there. Like, just think of that one thing, the one thing. The one thing. Just the one thing. And then take photos of those people, put that quote on and just chuck them up on every street corner. Just the one <laughs> thing that you want the vaccine for. It's fine to be selfish if you get vaccinated. Mine's going to be, I want to see a completely fine movie at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday because I have nothing to do for two hours. I want to see Juliet yeah. naked again. <laughs> I want to see That's a movie a I will never guess. think about again, but I have time before a meeting. I don't know. I feel that, so yeah. bad because our cinemas are open and we can ah. just stroll on in and sit Oof. next to a stranger, although... I hate that. Like, it's like, why did you <laughs> move two seats over? But yeah. yeah, the other day I went to see Nomadland in the cinema and I paid a babysitter like 60 bucks for the privilege because there was no way I was going to watch that in my home when I have the Wait, option. is it in theaters? Yeah, it's in oh. theaters in New Zealand. I'm so sorry. And I oh also saw Tenet at IMAX. I'm so sorry. And I also, <laughs> and I also it's saw really that. It's really Nomadland I'm working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I also saw Akira oh. in 4K for the first time in my life at IMAX. <sighs> I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry we have competent leadership. I apologize. <laughs> I watched Nomadland on my laptop like a freak. Oh, I did too. Yeah, I, I literally like, watched it, I watched it at 10 a.m. this morning on my laptop. <laughs> like, that's not the way you're supposed to watch that movie, but yeah, I did it. I don't even know how much I would have cried if I saw it in theaters. <laughs> I mean, ah! like, just to really rub it in, when Nomadland finished, nobody left. Everybody sat until the end of the credits, and then we all looked around at each other and just had that moment that you have in cinemas after a deeply 
special and satisfying experience mm. and just kind of nodded and smiled. There have been a few watches for me this year that immediately feel ruined after the fact because I just start thinking, oh, what would it have been like to see that in a theater? And then I'm like, oh, it would have been fucking amazing. And yeah. then I'm just sitting there being like, oh, I can't get that out of my head now. Uh-oh. Bill and Ted face the music in a theater with all of the people I watched the first two movies with in the 80s and 90s <sighs> is, is, the, is the thing I think that I miss. I saw it yeah. in my car at a drive-in and it's just, just the honking's not the same. Uh, and because you still. don't get, it's not a reaction. It's just like, it's not the same as people like clapping or cheering. It's just honk, 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 honk. And I'm like, that's not the same. <laughs> so Mia, movies for you in 2020, how was it? Similar, similar to Demi, um, partially because we watched a lot of movies together. So we had similar movie experiences, but that's, that, that's the main the main thing is I just miss that communal theater experience so much as we were saying, like talking with the old ladies in the bathroom afterwards. Oh my God. That's the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> guys don't understand. Do you have that? Yeah, you do, do you, do get, you that? get old guys in your bathroom talking to you? <laughs> no. One time I got a guy who came up to me in the bathroom and was just like, hey, you got to cover this song on your podcast. And I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the closest not the same. we got. <laughs> It's so not the same. The old ladies in the bathroom at the cinema is, is it's That a sounds thing. like a dream. It is dreamy. Yeah, they're Come sweet. into the girls' bathroom. <laughs> yes, come. It'll be well, fun. Just, It'll be just fun. Make non-binary, just make non-binary bathrooms a thing from now on. I'm going to go yeah. into the girls' bathroom and just be like, ladies, promising young woman, what did we think? And all like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect one to do it for, too. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's one that I we were, after Debbie and I watched it, we were like, oh, damn, we really wish we could have seen that in the theater. Yeah. Yep. Just for like react, I just again like I miss audience reactions. I miss the the communal experience and like experiencing. I like how a movie it's just like okay, I'm gonna sit here with people and we're gonna watch the same exact images and sounds and we're all gonna take something completely different out of it. And I just I do I really miss that aspect of it instead of just like watching movies in my apartment with like my shitty TV with the bad sound. <laughs> so given that our uh members spent 2020 watching more of the of the historical canon of film than than movies that were available in 2020 and what we saw a lot of was people I guess in a way finding structure in their lives by you know watching an entire director's cinema, you know filmography or mm. trying to watch all of the um Oscar best picture winners or you know just basically kind of ticking some boxes to to feel a sense of achievement or um, all of Sasha Baron Cohen's films oh, which I did Baron this Cohen's year films. wow favorite well, what was the favorite oh god <laughs> uh, none of them are good no I um <laughs> I'm sorry Sasha I know you're oh, listening he's my least <laughs> no <laughs> I know I watched them I'm like I don't even like these what am I doing no my favorite I'm gonna have to go with um Les Mis <laughs> oh yeah I don't care. I love it. There are haters for Les Mis, (laughs) but I'm a, I'm a staunch Les Mis defender and I think he's incredible in that movie and he deserves an Oscar. Okay. Carry on. (laughs) No, no, no. Let's go there uh, just for a minute because it's one of my favorite topics to talk about is Russell Crowe and Les Mis. (laughs) I just, honestly, he is the, he is the best Javert ever because he is a man who understands that Hugh Jackman is the dancing pony and he will never be able to sing as well as him. He'll never look as pretty as him. He'll, you know, he's, he, Russell is such an alpha male, but Hugh will 
always, you know, attract all the ladies and all the men in the room. And his his performance of stars, you know, is so stars. Stars in your multitudes scarce to be counted, filling the darkness. So beautiful, but it's also so um, wooden and stoic and it's just resigned to the fact that he's not the prancing pony in the film, but in the, but in the best possible way, this needs to come off as a compliment and it's not, but I adore him. I thought he, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. He needs, he needs that positivity after getting just panned in all the reviews. I think it's, that's, I think that's nice. And also after the one film he brought us in 2020, which was like, ah, is this what we need in 2020 for an action movie is just angry Russell driving badly and being a dick anyway. I love how much they insist that movie is like, it's only going to be in scene in theaters. If everyone's like, we got to rush back to theaters for this, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one. Oh, man. And just because you probably don't know this, but um, Russell Crowe, uh, the great Australian actor, started life as a New Zealander uh, who was known uh-huh. to all of us as Russ Le Rock. Uh, and uh-huh. Le, R-O-Q, not R-O-C-K, R-O-Q. What? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And if you do a little Google search, you will find a music video with Russ LaRock. Okay, okay. <laughs> Going for it right now. Well, people say I'm crazy, but I don't know. Just wanna be like Marlon. I'm Marlon Rando. We could go on all day, but this has been amazing. It's just like so for me personally, an absolute highlight to connect with the actual Brad Pitt of Letterboxd. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Mia, it's you're an a total honor. legend. That's you're how I felt legend. when I met her too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, may we all get vaccinated and run back to to the art house cinemas that are, yes. I think, still so. I, I don't know the energy I'm bringing to 2021. I'm going to ask you both this question, but the energy I'm bringing is, don't worry, cinemas, we're coming back. We've got you. And whatever we need to do to help you in the meantime, tell us what that is and we'll do it. My energy is I'll take the largest popcorn you've got just <laughs> yeah. to support them. I don't, I, I don't want to eat the popcorn, but I, I know it helps. So yeah, give me the Skittles too, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Well, my energy is for this year, I want to make like a really big effort to watch as many female directed films as I can, I think. Um, like new releases. I saw so many cool women directed movies last year and I just hope that number keeps growing and I will do anything to support them. Like anything, if you're a woman in film, I will do anything to help you. (laughs) So that is my energy, I suppose. I love that energy and I love that I can back that up by letting you know that it is, uh, it it was the biggest year in in terms of a letterbox year in review, in terms of female director representation yeah so we're good we're on we're on the way and I'm bringing that with you yeah I would like to I would like to add to that that you know as as a letterbox community we will continue doing our part to bring that average rating of otherwise overlooked or terribly marketed female directed films up and up and up and up and up to the you know five stars they deserve yes justice for jennifer's body (laughs) thank you both so much thank you yeah thank you
The Letterbox Show is recorded in Los Angeles, Toronto and Auckland and edited by Tony Stamp. The theme tune is Vampiro's Dancotech by Monica and our podcast artwork is by Anne Davenport. Thanks to all our guests today, Demi Adejuibe and Mia Vicino, Adam Brody and Evan Morgan, whose film The Kid Detective is available in the US on Blu-ray, DVD and digital January 19, and McKenna, The Twilight 366 Hero. Links for all the films we've mentioned are in the podcast description, and the Letterboxd Year in Review is out now. See you again soon. Don't run, David. Even if it's bleak or whatever, it's a fucking ending.